Welcome to the Health Fix Podcast, where health junkies get their weekly fix of tips, tools, and techniques to have limitless energy, sharp minds, and fit physiques for life. Hey, health junkies. On this episode of the Health Fix Podcast, I'm interviewing Lindsay Parsons. She's a certified health coach, and she's helping folks to heal their guts and reverse autoimmune disease naturally. She's also the host of The Perfect Stool, Understanding and Healing the Gut Microbiome podcast. Now, we dive into all kinds of things, including self-fecal transplants and how you can reverse autoimmune disease by focusing on the digestive system. In addition to looking at special tests for SIBO, that's small intestine bowel overgrowth for those that you don't know, and CFO, small intestine fungal overgrowth. So we dive into a lot of geeky things about gut health and some stuff that I even didn't know about. So this episode's gonna be a good one. So let's introduce you to Lindsay Parsons. Hey, health junkies. I have Lindsay Parsons on and my goodness, Lindsay, I'm so excited to talk about autoimmune conditions because I haven't really brought it up in a sense of talking about the gut. And it's one of the things that I educate patients on all the time, but I don't bring it on the podcast. So here, here you are today. So Lindsay, welcome to the Health Fix Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. So you likely have a story much like other folks about how you got into becoming a health coach. I I saw that you were a teacher in Maryland back in the day um, and, and you were working in the public schools and advocating for healthier foods, which girl, I've been in that that nonprofit <laughs> realm of of teaching cooking classes and things in that that nature and poise it's hard it's hard so i can see where this came out of so so give us give us your background history here tell us a little bit about what inspired you to become a health coach after all and and move from maryland to arizona that is a major yeah. <laughs> right well i had i had co-founded a nonprofit in maryland to advocate for healthier food in schools and did that for about six years, five, six years. And then I had become familiar with the profession of health coaching because a lot of the people who volunteered to be our school representatives at schools, because we had individual representatives and there were you know, well over a hundred schools in the district. And a lot of them were health coaches. And so that got me familiar with the idea Plus, I'd been in the world of nutrition for that period and you know, been looking at the studies, been making sure that everything that we were advocating for was science-based. And so that gave me the idea that when I was ready to move on, because my husband at the time wanted to move on, as he often did, Mm -hmm. he was a military brat with a five-year itch. Mm -hmm. So we started looking around for places to live and pick Tucson because of the weather and the mountains and all those things. So in any case, um, I needed a profession as I moved and I wanted something that allowed me some independence, work from home, that kind of thing. So that's how I ended up with health coaching. Nice. nice. Now, of course, you you transitioned into having a podcast talking all about the digestive system and the perfect stool, which I love the title, by the way. Um, <laughs> something that a lot of my clients end up over time searching for is is how can they get the, the perfect bowel movement? One that you're just like, oh. <laughs> and and you don't even have to wipe. It's like amazing. Yes. So, um, you know, all joking aside, the the gut we know, you know, is the root of of health, and and we're also talking about it in in all kinds of other realms. But I think a lot of people don't really realize how autoimmune conditions, a lot of them, dare I say, all of them, which I believe it's all, um, come from gut issues. Can you tell us a little bit about how you dove into deciding I want a podcast all about talking about poop and going into autoimmune conditions? Give us give us the backstory there. Yeah. So the backstory for me is that before all of this, I taught English in Costa Rica for a year and a half. And during that time, I had a couple incidences of food poisoning, one of which was entirely my fault and involved old mayonnaise that had been sitting out for way too long. And food poisoning, as you likely know, can lead to irritable bowel syndrome. And I, after I came back, I started having looser stool and didn't know the reason. And, you know, I was eating, trying to eat a lot of bran muffins and doing, doing the right things, I thought. 
but it kind of just continued over time. And I had always, I, I shouldn't say always, but from a young age, if I overate or if I ate a lot of gluten or dairy or, or just overate in general, I would have a, you know, a big belly. I would have a bloated belly. And that got kind of extreme at this point. And eventually, maybe after dealing with this for like 10 years, and there'd been multiple courses of antibiotics in the midst of all that too, I did finally see a functional medicine person. And they diagnosed me with SIBO. And I realized in retrospect that that SIBO and, and it subsequently got the test, the IBS smart test, which tells you if you have post-infectious IBS from an episode of food poisoning. And I discovered that I did have the elevated vinculin antibodies showing that what I had was a recurring case of SIBO that's going to keep coming back because of that food poisoning. So I also then, and, and what really got me delved more into the functional medicine stuff was the fact that I developed Hashimoto's thyroiditis hmm. and was also diagnosed at the time with ITP, which is idiopathic thrombocytopenia purpura, I think, if I got all the words right. Close, close. Idi idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura. There you go. Yep. There we go. That one's okay. Pretty good. That's a tough one. Uh, so yeah. that's a, that's an autoimmune attack on your platelets. I, a doctor subsequently told me I don't have that diagnosis because they changed the criteria, but my platelets were low enough that I was sent to see a hematologist and was also diagnosed at the time with pernicious anemia, which has subsequently been reversed. So I don't test positive for those antibodies, but that is you know an autoimmune attack on the intrinsic cells in your um, stomach such that you can't absorb B12. Yeah. So I was diagnosed essentially with three autoimmune diseases mm -hmm. and they often come in threes apparently. And I, I realized in retrospect that all that stuff had come from the food poisoning and the SIBO and that that was the likely origin of all of the stuff that was going on along with other things like endometriosis and infertility and, and all these things. So long and short of it, I'd had gut issues. And that's why I was interested in a podcast on gut health. And in particular, I had heard about fecal transplants. And I thought this was like the savior of everything and that that was going to somehow do it for me and undo all this damage. And so I, I really wanted to do a podcast where I focused on people's stories of do-it-yourself fecal transplants, because that was something that nobody was talking about out there in the you know, more standard medical world or, you know, other than for C. difficile. And even in alternative circles, you didn't hear a lot about people doing it themselves. You heard about clinics where you could go pay a lot of money to do it, but not where you could actually do it yourself at home. No, no, I actually didn't know that people doing were doing it at home. I only knew of the clinics as well. So interesting. The, the plot thickens here. So, <laughs> so I'm guessing you've done one yourself. I have <laughs> very okay. unadvisedly and without any prior testing, but I was, this was before I got into the gut health stuff as a profession. And I was determined that my husband was going to be, I figured we were already sharing all the germs. Like there was nothing I could catch from him that I wouldn't have already catch, caught. So I used his stool. And, and the interesting thing was that fecal transplant, while it did not reverse Hashimoto's, immediately changed my B12 counts. Like I, they, they kind of skyrocketed right after, but I couldn't retain the benefit of that. I still have to use sublingual B12 to, to absorb it properly, even though the antibodies are now negative for pernicious anemia. Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, of course, inquiring minds are all going to want to know now. So Lindsay, how did you do it? How did <laughs> you do the, the, the self fecal well, transplant? And, and there's no judgment here because I, all of us here talk about different things we've done um, just because we're trying to figure out how to, yeah. how to solve our own issues. Right. We're, we're sick of dealing with, you know, not getting answers. So please share. I, would love I to took my, and this isn't the best method. Now I know there's better methods, but I think I took my husband's stool. I put it in the blender with some distilled water and I used a disposable enema to put it inside me and held it in as long as I could, which I think pretty much it didn't come back out. So that was what I did. I just did it the one time. Now I know, you know, most the clinics will do two five-day courses during the work week. And, you know, sometimes then they give you doses to continue using periodically thereafter, depending on what the condition is. For C. diff, it's, I think, one one and done. But for other conditions where people are using it, like for IBS or IBD or whatever they might be doing it for, it's much longer courses. Wow. 
Wow. Thanks for sharing. Because I think a lot of people might have been imagining that you were trying to like you put it into a capsule or something of that nature. So mm-hmm. I I love clarifying for folks just kind of. Yeah. And some people do do capsules. I've interviewed people who who put together capsules. But the one guy who said that said, I'm like an expert with the pipette. Like I've you have to develop hands for this or else it'll get all over the place. And he was double encasing them. And he said, this is a very, very hard thing. <laughs> oh my goodness. So guys, you, you got it. If you want to learn more about what Lindsay um, has, has who's it, Lindsay's interviewed and different things folks are doing out there. I mean, I, I think it's fascinating just to hear the history of how things play out. I really do. And so you guys check out the perfect stool for that one um, to understand where we've come. Let's put it that way from self, um, self, fecal transplants and and beyond. So, all right, let's get in, let's dive into the autoimmune side of the gut a little bit more because there is this thing that goes along in particular with Hashimoto's where like you had mentioned already, the B12 is one of them that tends to drop off. Folate will sometimes drop off. You'll also see iron be a problem and anemia be a problem like over and over again. Continues to be a problem for me. (laughs) Yeah. T- tell us kind of what, what kind of things you've been down, what kind of things you've worked with, what, give us, give us your scoop there. Kind right. Of well, yeah. So, so first of all, the, the main thing when you have a gut derived autoimmune condition is getting the gut stuff in order. So getting the SIBO healed up and then continuing to monitor. And so periodically I'll do rounds of antimicrobials just to, when it starts to, when I see the bloating coming up again, when I start to see the stool loosen again. So, so that's one, one piece of it. Because obviously when you have any kind of gut condition going on, you're going to end up with a leaky gut and then you're going to predispose yourself to autoimmunity because you know, you've got those three parts that, that are necessary for autoimmunity. You need to have some type of antigen that's causing problems. And I guess in the case of Hashimoto's, gluten is known to be one of the primary ones and then dairy also because it resembles gluten protein. And then the leaky gut to let that antigen out and start to ignite the immune system. And then the genetic predisposition to have that immune condition, autoimmune condition. So in my case, you know, the Hashimoto's, I was, I was diagnosed with it based on an ultrasound because my doctor felt an enlarged thyroid gland. I never had an elevated TSH level. And Mm -hmm. so then they ran my antibodies and those were elevated, but not extremely elevated. They were still under a hundred and it was only the thyroid uh, peroxidase. No, the thyroglobulin antibodies, there's two types. So it's just Mm -hmm. the thyroglobulin antibodies that were elevated for me. And so what I did was I just kept retesting the antibodies as I did things like I changed my diet. So I eliminated gluten and dairy and for a while soy, and then I eventually retested against the soy and that didn't seem to cause any elevation in antibodies. So I just kept, kept with the two gluten and dairy and, and then just a general, you know, healthier diet, you know, none of the omega-6 fatty acid oils and, and, you know, cut out the sugar, those kinds of things as well too. And then over, and then I just sort of persisted in that over time with the gut healing component And then I just saw my antibodies dropping further and further until they finally hit zero uh, about three or four years ago. And I just retested them. And and now I can actually eat gluten and dairy. I don't eat it all the time, but I went on a vacation to Italy for two weeks and I I ate gluten and dairy almost daily. And I tested my antibodies right after and they're still at zero. Oh, wow. Wow. That's huge. That's huge. I mean, that's that's a big testament to... The process, let's put it that way, the process. I think a lot of folks, and and I, you know, as you know, as well as I do, some folks, it's, you're off of it for good. And for, in it's just the way the body is. Or if you do indulge, sometimes it, your antibodies are going to go up. But when you can get to the point where you don't have any antibodies and they don't go up when you eat these foods here and there, I mean, that shows us how resilient our bodies are and that we have mm. the ability to heal, which is something I definitely wanted to bring across to everyone today, because I think we get this idea of like, oh my gosh, I have an autoimmune condition. And now, you know, that's it. There's nothing I can do. You know, everything's going to go downhill from here. So this is, this is big news for a lot of folks listening right now, even they might be thinking like, really, really, you can turn it around. So obviously you've, 
you've become a coach and 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 are helping folks with this as well. Where do you typically start? Do you typically start? It, it looks like you've got some testing that you recommend. And and I would love to hear kind of a little bit about the organic acids testing and the stool testing and kind of where you began with folks. Right. So typically I do begin just to interview people and see what they've already done. Cause sometimes you get people with a really complex history who've done yeah. a lot of testing, who've done a lot of functional medicine intervention. So it really depends on each person. But if I'm coming with someone who, who has yet to do any functional medicine testing, usually I recommend a GI map, mm-hmm. especially if there's any indication that it could be related to H pylori, just because that includes it on there. Occasionally I do use a GI effects or comprehensive did the, the Genova testing. Genova GFX, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, GFX. And that's more when I think there's no risk of uh H. pylori. And I'm more interested in the short chain fatty acids, maybe if they have looser stool, see where the butyrate levels are. So it just depends what's included on those. So I'll do a stool test. And then if there's any indication of candida or if there's any mental health conditions and I want to see where the neurotransmitters are, or if it seems like they may have issues with detoxification, then I'll I'll recommend an organic acids test. And then if, if it's an autoimmune condition that's more serious, say, than Hashimoto's, like if you're dealing with rheumatoid arthritis or if I'm dealing with, you know, if there's something like chronic fatigue, people have all manner of stuff along with gut health issues, then I'll recommend something more comprehensive like a Nutravel that's got all of the, you know, amino acids, the fatty acids, the nutrient levels. So, yeah, I do. I'll do different tests. Based on what the, I mean, obviously it sounds like you're listening and, and really getting the story, which for me and for anyone I'm talking with that's in the functional medicine or the, the health coaching space, I mean, the story is, is so much part of what we can glean a lot of information from. And I'm guessing that is your case as well. Yeah. Yeah. The, sometimes the dilemma though, is you get so much information and it feels <laughs> like it's all urgent and you're just like, what do I deal with first? But, but I'm, I'm I'm a uh, I'm a fan of uh, Daniel Kalish, so I I've been, <laughs> yes. been following trying to follow his his recommendations. You start with the the neuroendocrine, then you do the gut stuff, then you deal with uh at the third step offhand, but the fourth step is the detoxification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes you got to put the fires out before before you you know keep moving forward, and so. Yeah, for those of you guys who are listening, Dr. Dan Kalish is a functional medicine doc who also happens to be a naturopath as well and has a pretty extensive history of going in deep into testing. And it's one of, I mean, guy I follow too, you know, good, good stuff there. So with it, you know, looking into this and, and kind of deducing outright, you, you, I had mentioned the story. And sometimes folks come with a lot of stuff. And I think a lot of folks, when they come with a lot of stuff, they're also thinking to themselves like, wow, this is really complicated. I have so much, you know, to, to the story. And I've, I've experimented with so many things. I think it is important for, for folks to think about like, okay, where do we start? And, and like you said, is it neuroendocrine or are we, you know, looking at some of the other basics lifestyle stuff? Because a lot of times we'll jump into the really advanced portions of things and skip over the basics. I don't know mm-hmm. if you found that in some, some folks. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny though, because be, by the time people find me, you know, the idea that starting with the basics of diet, I mean, by the time they find me, their diets are usually so restricted. I'm more looking into expanding their diets than decreasing. Ah. Them. It's rare. I get somebody who says I'm still eating gluten and dairy and sugar and blah, blah, blah. Like usually they've tried that stuff a hundred times over in, in 50 different ways by the time they find me. So, so the lifestyle stuff often has already been addressed to some extent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, but yeah, I mean, if it hasn't, of course, that's the first place to start. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you're more finding that you're, you have folks gravitating towards you who have kind of went down the route. Now they're just like, okay, I, they've tried a lot of different things. They need someone to help on the deeper, deeper level. Okay. Good. Good for us to know. I mean, I, I think that helps when, when we're looking at coaching, we're looking at like, you know, how can Lindsay help me specifically compared to other coaches out there? Obviously you've been in the trenches of it and you've got, you know, a lot of background with, with the functional medicine testing. I saw that too on your website. So when someone has come to you and they've done, let's, let's use the air quote, all the things, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we are kind of looking at like, okay, where, where do we go? when that's happened 
What do you look at that in that department? Are you going towards the neuroendocrine system if they haven't had it tested? Are you going towards testing? Or are there some things like tributrin, like your product that you find that folks tend to not have had? Maybe they've been down the glutamine and those kind of pathways. Give us a little scoop on where the, where the tributrin popped in to your scene <laughs> for you. Well, so for me personally, you know, whenever... I, even, even in the best scenario, when my SIBO is under control, when I'm not having bloating, I still tend towards a looser stool. Mm -hmm. And of course, when you're thinking about eating fiber, right? What is, what happens to the fiber? The fiber gets digested by the microbes in your gut and they produce butyrate, which is the short chain fatty acid. One of the four that is in the colon and helps with the gut lining, helps feed the gut lining. And when you aren't getting enough fiber, which, you know, when you, when you have a condition like SIBO that recurs, you tend to veer away from fiber to some extent, even, mm -hmm. even if it's, you know, not on purpose, like I don't follow a low FODMAPs diet, but I think that somehow naturally I've just moved towards maybe a little less fiber in my diet because I know that I feel really stuffed and bloated if I eat say brown rice versus white rice or that kind of thing. So you know, I may not be getting enough fiber, plus I get full very quickly. So again, it, that relates to how much you can take in and how much fiber. So I end up not quite, I think, getting enough fiber in my diet. As a result, I began to try butyrate. And so the best form of butyrate is tributrin, which is more easily absorbed and, you know, it has better staying power in the lining of the, of the large intestine. And so I was using butyrate and at the time, the supplements that were available, well, at first there was just 300 milligram supplements available and I'd have to take like five of them to get any effect. And so, and then, then I was moving towards the 500 milligram ones and those ones, you know, I still was having to take a few at a time, sometimes multiple meals, a few at a time. And so I just kept thinking it would be really nice if there were higher dosage tributrin supplements so that you wouldn't have to take so many pills. Plus I was recommending it for pretty much any client who had any condition that led them to have loose bowels that was not resolving or while, while treating it, you know, that, that can be a source of, for some people, they don't mind whatever they have a messy loose stool. They don't seem to care, but a lot of people, they're just like, that's like for them, a real vital sign, a real sign of health that you have a nice clean stool with a clean wipe and you are like, you said, Oh, you know, I just dance a jig when I have a good stool. So, so I, so I knew that, that a lot of people were concerned with that. And I was recommending it, recommending it to a lot of my clients. And as a result, I decided, why don't I just develop a larger dose supplement? So that's how I came up with Tributrin Max, which is the max dose available at 750 milligrams in one capsule. So that like, for example, I take one with each meal and with that, I get perfect stool almost all the time. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, and I have an ongoing condition, like I'm going to keep having this thing, like it's not going away. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. You mentioned about the SIBO not going away and, and having that kind of condition. I think a lot of people are, are, and this is kind of what I find in my practice is that a lot of people are under the impression that there's got to be some magical, either antibacterial or antimicrobial or antimicrobial microbial herb out there, and they just haven't had it yet. And this is one of the things that I get asked a lot, um, either on Instagram or, you know, with podcast, podcast questions when people email me is they're like, there's gotta be something. I feel like I haven't had it yet. And I'm like, sometimes there isn't. Can you speak to that a little bit about what you see and, and kind of how you coach folks on that? Yeah. So, you know, when you do have well, depends what the root cause is, right? There's so sure. many potential root causes to SIBO. And if your root cause is these elevated vinculin antibodies, now hopefully over time they'll come down. Hopefully this won't be a forever thing, but every time you have food poisoning, say you get a little, little bout of E. coli from, you know, it's not, not like the hardcore food poisoning, but just you go to a restaurant and somebody didn't quite wash their hands well, and then you get a little diarrhea for a day. That happens to all of us, right? Well, you do that every time you're kind of reinfecting yourself and, and your antibodies are probably going up again each time that happens. And so 
you know, you're never quite able to get that out completely out of your system. So for me, I, I recognize that that's going to be a recurring problem. And once you know how to deal with it, then it's not a big deal. Like you don't necessarily have to go back to see a doctor every time you do it or a coach or whatever. Like once you know the basic protocol, you can redo it. It's because I'm I'm in the, you know, I'm in the camp where I, you know, I know like periodically I'm going to have an overgrowth of bacteria in my small intestine. I'm going to need to wipe some of those out. I always feel better on, on antibiotics. I'm one of those people. I have the, the opposite. You know, some people get diarrhea when they're on antibiotics. I do the opposite. I get hard stool when I'm on antibiotics or antimicrobials because because the cause of my loose stool is being addressed. Aha. Tell, tell us more about the antibodies to the, the anti, because I'm not familiar with that as much as, and, and I haven't spoken a lot about this kind of, I mean, so tell yeah. us more. So Dr. Mark Pimentel at Cedar sinai developed a test called the IBS smart test, and you can order it online yourself, or you can go through a medical practitioner. And basically it tests for two types of antibodies, anti-CDTB and anti-vinculin antibodies. And the CDTB is the, the protein that, that certain bacteria produce that cause food poisoning. I think primarily it's Klebsiella and E. coli are the two that produce it. And those antibodies will be initially elevated after a food poisoning incident. And then the problem is that there is a protein in your body called vinculin that is involved in the migrating motor complex, which helps clear food out of the small intestine, um, you know, several hours after eating. And that protein is similar to CDTB. And as a result, sort of like with the thyroid autoimmunity, where the gluten protein resembles the thyroid gland and that gets attacked, same same situation where the vinculin resembles the CDTB and that gets attacked. So mm -hmm. the CDTB is the protein in the, in the bacteria, right? So the vinculin gets attacked. So then that protein is no longer functioning and that contraction that starts to move food out of the small intestine after you finished eating is not functioning properly. Maybe it stalls, maybe it doesn't, like you might not hear that gurgling, like that gurgling is a good thing, right? You, unless it's super excessive, the gurgling is a good sign that you're getting things cleared out. Like I have very, very little stomach gurgling. Like you barely ever hear that on me because stuff is not getting cleared out properly. So that's one sign that you don't have a quite functioning migrating motor complex. So then you've got to look at, you know, taking prokinetics like, you know, ginger, or there's different ones. Um, you know, artichoke extract helps with the stomach emptying. And then you've got ginger that helps with the motility. And then for some people, 5-HTP works well if they have the constipation type of SIBO. So, so some type of prokinetic, and there's also prescription ones that are going to keep things moving instead of your migrating motor complex, which isn't functioning. Mm, okay. Okay. Good stuff here. Yeah. I, I haven't talked about that much and, and it's not something that I have honed in on in, in that particular case, which it makes sense. It's, it's probably more co common than we actually talk about is, is my guess. Um, maybe because a lot of us, you know, just didn't know that there's the test that's to, to look at this, you know, it's, yeah. it's possible. And it's more common with the, with the diarrhea type of SIBO or IBS than it is with the um, constipated kind. Although I have seen a client with the constipated SIBO who tests positive for antibodies. Interesting. Interesting. Cause yeah, I will, I will be honest that I work a lot more in the realm of the constipation side of folks. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I don't know why maybe, yeah. I don't know, you know, sometimes folks gravitate towards what, what, yeah, I no, I see a lot of constipated folks too. <laughs> That's very okay. common. Okay, because I'm like, boy, I don't and know. They're more miserable than, surprisingly, depending on how frequent the diarrhea is, I find the constipation folks and the bloating that comes with it seem like at least two or three times as miserable as the folks who are having diarrhea. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. I mean, constipation, I mean, it doesn't feel good and, and it just has a lot more, whereas the diarrhea sounds typical kind of woman we're like oh cool you know we're, we're eliminating things it's everything's fine if we're eliminating but you know depending on how much wiping we're doing now there's a whole nother side to that um yeah, or if there's urgency obviously if there's urgency and you're having accidents that's a whole nother realm of unpleasant but but that's usually that's usually relatively easy to clean up i find like you know antimicrobials usually usually get that in check 
tell, tell us about your favorite antimicrobials. What do you like to use? What, you know, kind of, what are you up to in that department? So, you know, I, it's, it's kind of a moving target. Like I keep, I keep changing what I'm doing because I don't want to, and I've noticed this, like there's certain antimicrobials and combo products that have things like say grapeseed extract that are really potent and tend to wipe out, wipe out acromancia. And I've seen that in, in people. Often I have clients who are seeing other people at the same time or who self-treat or do things like that. And I've seen their acromancia wiped out by taking some of these strong products. So I'm beginning to get away from those. I, I used to use candy bactins a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, AR and BR. I'm, I'm moving a lot more towards things that are more gentle. Mm-hmm. So using um, SBI powders, serum bovine immunoglobulins, which kind of just target any kind of pathogen without hurting anything that's going on that's good in the gut. Um, also, you know, a lot of people have CFO or small intestine fungal overgrowth as well. So, you know, looking at things like caprylic acid or undesalinic acid, black seed oil. Um, and then, you know, obviously sometimes you have to go harder. So then I may, you know, I'll pick out a product that seems to go well with the person's situation, um, usually combo products, but, you know, I've used things like berberine and oregano, but I, but I have seen those being pretty harsh and can, you know, can wipe out good microbes. So just trying to be careful not to do that. And then sometimes using elemental diets as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. The elemental diets. Oof, those are hard. Those are hard. Um, For those of you guys who are listening that are not familiar with all of these things that we've now kind of spewed out in terms of the candy bactins, that is a metagenics product. There's two types. There's the AR and then the other one is BR. BR. There we go. Um, and then we've, you know, yes, I, I find that too, Lindsay, that the that the gentler, the better. It's almost like we need the foundational support yeah. before we go on killing rampages, if that yeah. is what we need per se. Yeah. And then I didn't even mention um using spore-based probiotics too like megasporbiotic and uh, enterogermina. I was just in Italy and I found it in the pharmacy. I was so excited. So I brought home some boxes. Tell us about that. I don't know that one. It is one of the ones that's been used in a lot of research studies that are are peer reviewed and published. So it's called enterogermina. It comes in little vials. You can get it on Amazon. So it's it's a a spore-based probiotic. I think it's Bacillus clausii. Okay. Don't quote me on that. It's okay. one, of, one of the bacillus and it's a particular strain that's been used in research and in particular for SIBO. Okay. And you said they come in little vials, like you bust open the vials and then you're- and You pour it down your throat and it just tastes like water, but yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. New stuff here. Yeah. I have not got into that realm. Um, definitely been down the megaspore in, in that department. Um, gosh, you know, the, the spore-based probiotics do seem to be somewhat of like heat seeking missiles towards certain types of, of microbes. And so I do like to, to see how that goes. What's, what's kind of your stance on probiotics these days, like going beyond the spore base, the others. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm still, it's still kind of a work in progress, but I do, what I tend to do is given the person's condition, I, I look at what the evidence-based probiotics are for that condition. So um, sometimes I use the tool probiotic advisor. I think that's Jason Harlack's tool. And just, just look, what is the current research saying on this very specific condition and this probiotic? And I kind of vacillate. Like I, mm-hmm. It depends on the person and what they're already doing and how many other supplements they're on. Sometimes I, I'll incorporate a probiotic. Like in particular, I've been I've been looking at the BioGaea uh, gas gastrus, I think, for for methane SIBO because that mm-hmm. one's got some good evidence with it. And I find that if you're starting to kill things in methane SIBO, you need to be really careful because you might kill so many good bacteria that you actually make the whole thing worse. And there's then the archaea just continue to expand. So mm-hmm. I want to be careful that I'm adding in some bacteria while I'm trying to kill off archaea and not just killing off all of the bacteria as well. Is definitely something that I have done to people. I mean, mm-hmm. it's unfortunate, but in the in the game of trying to help the microbiome, there's lots of different directions that we can go. And and yeah, I fully full disclosure, I've I've had to yeah. adjust things. I, I, too. 
I've done it too. <laughs> you live and learn. Exactly. Exactly. Now you had mentioned acromancia. Mm-hmm. That one now with the new pendulum product, you know, mm-hmm. I guess it's not even new now. It's been a couple of years, but with pendulums, acromancia, do you, do you use it? Do you not? I, I'm curious, just asking out of curiosity. Do you find it yeah. useful? Well, and then they also have the butyricum. So I have I have used the acromancia and tried to reestablish acromancia in my gut, which had been wiped out. And they had told me when I first got involved with them and, and you know became an affiliate, I wanted to find out whether the acromancia could be reestablished. And they'd only done the study on the glucose control that has the acromancia. It has some other, I think it's some, some lactobacilli, and then it has the butyricum, the clostridium butyricum in it. And that study showed that after several months, the acromancy had not taken root, Mm. but they didn't start that protocol with antimicrobials. And I think, you know, we all know that it's very hard for probiotics to find a niche in the gut, right? To actually stay there. So given that a lot of the people that I'm dealing with are going through rounds of antimicrobials first, I think, okay, well, after that's done, now that might be the time to try the acromancy if they don't have any. Mm-hmm. And, and sort of, I, I tell people to use it, you know, at first use it every day, but then sort of start tapering it and use it every other day. I've yet to have anybody who retests to see if it stays, but I did, I think I was using it maybe every other day or every few days. And I did do a 16S test on my gut and did find that it was still there after a few months. I, I can't remember if it was a few months without it, maybe it was like a month without it. So maybe not quite enough time to give it a good test. <laughs> hey, you know, I mean... It's cool that you're actually thinking to look back and and test it because I do see that a lot of folks will just be like, "Well, I took it, I'm good," you know. And yeah, I mean, I I imagine they would tell you you have to keep taking it, but I think if you go through antimicrobials, then perhaps you might have a chance. Like if that's the first step, that you might have a chance for it reestablishing. I I see a lot of people with it gone though. It's the one of the one of the keystone mm-hmm. species that's gone for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, I see it more and more. I mean, especially in SIBO, CFO cases. My, mold mycotoxin cases, I will see it gone as well. Mm-hmm. It seems to be a, a, I don't want to call it a weaker species, just maybe sensitive species is a better Yeah. Term. I think a lot of the antimicrobials too, it's sensitive to those. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. So what about in terms, let's, let's go back to functional digestive system as, as a whole and, you know, looking at autoimmune conditions and, and in, in particular thyroid conditions, since, you're, you know, you have this yourself and, and it is something that I have found fascinating and also frustrating is helping folks figure out how to get the digestive system reabsorbing again. Do you feel like those folks like yourself who, who struggle with the iron absorption and B12, do you feel like it has to, it comes down to the, the lining of the gut still being having an autoimmune attack happening that's preventing you from absorption? Or do you think it's more of a signaling in terms of release of of the messengers from the stomach to get the absorption going, the right enzyme, you know, the right vitamin C balance? I don't know. I'm throwing all the things out there that have have went through my head. What do you you think? What's your thought? I don't honestly know the answer to that question, at least in terms of myself, because I, I did do, after the fecal transplant, I was working with my hematologist who he was a more adventurous kind of doctor. And he was like, well, let's do, I said, can we do an experiment and see if, if I can absorb B12 in my stomach now? So we went to just, just pills that were not sublinguals. And we used those for a time. And sure enough, my levels dropped back down. This was after the fecal transplant had brought them up. Mm-hmm. And so I was still not at that point able to absorb B12 normally. I've been taking 12 by sublingual since, and I haven't since done an experiment like that again. So it would be hard to say whether I can actually absorb B12 on my own, but I still seem to need B12 as a supplement. So I'm assuming that means I'm not absorbing it well on my own. So yeah, I, I guess there's still something impaired in there. But I do, I did notice though with the iron, that's, that's a different question with the iron that I had been taking for ages. I've been taking the cheap iron at CVS. I thought, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm going to just take the ferrous sulfate. And that was the highest one I could find. It was 65 milligrams. I was taking two of those a day and I could not get my ferritin levels up to to anything close to optimal. So I switched to the iron bisglycinate form and 
started taking that and my level started coming up quite nicely only at like 25 or 30 milligrams nice then i but but my nails were still cracking and still really weak and i thought something's something's not right here and i you know i'm trying everything under the sun and then i finally came back to iron so i said okay you know what something's not going right here so i thought it's not it's when i'm taking the iron i'm taking it in competition with too much other stuff so then i moved to iron on the empty stomach with a vitamin c and that's definitely helped firm up the nails and the ferritin levels now are like above optimal so yeah wow. that's so that's just all all, all all to say i still have to supplement but i'm playing with it it's you know it's it's okay i i mean it, I, I see it in my practice too it is a tough one. And, and I work with a lot of folks who are trying different things like from copper balancing and mm. I mean, crazy different. I mean, we try all kinds of things, right. To see what's going to happen. Yeah. And, and I just love asking because I think sharing what you've been through and sharing like, like, okay, still not there yet. Still trying, you know, yeah. it's, it's part of, it's part of the, the process, I think, especially yeah. with, with thyroid and iron and the whole complex. I, I haven't cracked the code a hundred percent either. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, I'm, if I can just get it down to, and, and mind you, I'm well, well above just a few supplements a day, but if I could just get it down to a few that I really <laughs> felt, okay, I really couldn't probably live for super long-term without these four supplements and I'd be ecstatic. Like that would be no problem at all. I'd be happy to take four supplements for the rest of my life. Some people just, they get tired of any supplements at all. And they're just like, I'm done with supplements. I'm not any better than I was. I'm just quitting everything, but I'm more of a, yeah, I'll take some pills if that's going to give me better long-term health and certainly better energy. Cause obviously when your iron levels and your B12 levels are low, you can feel that. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's, I mean, it is true. There are some folks that's like, I'm done with the supplements and, you know, and then there's folks who will cycle on and off and, right. you know, it's, it's on average where we're running at that particular time. Sometimes I'm at eight, sometimes I'm at three, you know, it all kind of depends yeah. on what's happening. I'm always experimenting with something, but I'm also always getting set samples of stuff. So I'm like, Oh, I'll try that for a bit. And you know. I, I know what that's like. I know what that's like. Gosh, you know, it's, it's good to talk to someone just about kind of in the trenches, what kind of things you're trying, what you're up to in terms of, you know, your coaching, I would love for you to kind of tell folks, you know, cause we've kind of went down all the routes of what's, what you've been working with. We've talked a little bit about clients. Tell us how you work with folks. I, I know you do some testing. You mentioned that give us kind of the scoop of like, what it, give us a, the lay of the land for working with you. What does it look like? So typically I, I, people are welcome to set up a free 30 minute breakthrough session with me and there we'll just talk about what they've been doing, what they've already tried and um, what they've been going through. And I'll let them know if that, if I think I have anything to add to that, because, you know, if they've already tried every single thing in my toolbox, which few people have, but you mm -hmm. know, if they have, then I'm not going to take their money, <laughs> you know? Right. So anyway, I, I do coaching typically in, in either three or five session coaching packages and, you know, at the breakthrough session, you know, we can discuss those options based once I hear what, what they're dealing with, how much coaching I think it's going to take. But, you know, I also offer options just to just to go one by one appointment by appointment because I want to make it affordable for people because I know that people out there really, you know, there's the conventional medical care is not doing the job for so many people. And I and I feel for them because I've been there and I know what it's like to not be able to afford the kind of medical care that you want. So anyway, I want to have, have people have the option so they can go appointment by appointment. But in any case, you know, we usually just start with one appointment to do a full medical history and, and understand what they've already tried. And then we discuss what tests, you know, based on their budget, based on what seems most urgent to address. And then, you know, they get the tests and then come back and then we'll help them understand the results and then educate them on the supplements that may help them and the lifestyle changes that may help them feel better. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, I mean, this functional medicine space can be very expensive. And so it's, yeah. you know, it's nice to hear that there are folks like us who are thinking about that in, in that space. Now, the other thing that I was curious about in terms of just the overall help that, that you provide for folks, are you, are you working with folks that um, cause it sounds like you've got folks that are working with multiple doctors or multiple, um, practitioners, things of that nature. Are you also teaming up with their, their other providers too, and kind of giving them team approach, or is it more just kind of your side approach on that as a whole? 
it's rare for me to talk to another provider. I think once I talk to someone's therapist, but, um, but mostly I just ask what the other provider has recommended and, you know, I defer to them. Of course, if they're a doctor or naturopath, I'll defer to them and, you know, always follow your doctor's advice and you may want to consider this additional thing or, you know, that kind of thing. If, if, or if there's testing, often they're testing that their other practitioner doesn't do, then I might suggest, oh, okay, well, there may be another factor involved that you haven't been looking at. Or sometimes they say, you know, they've already been to say a gastroenterologist. That's, that's the most common is that they've seen a gastroenterologist and they've, they've done the colonoscopy, they've done the endoscopy, and they've, they're still kind of nowhere in terms of their symptoms. And that's when I'm like, okay, that's definitely, that feels like that's my space because I want to make sure, you know, they've ruled out the big stuff like colon cancer first, and then we can look at the functional stuff. Bridging the gap between the conventional and the functional realm. No, that's great. That's great. Now tell us a little bit more about your podcast so that folks that are listening here can be like, okay, the perfect stool. All right. I want that. So what, what can I expect from the perfect stool podcast? Okay. So I've been doing the podcast since 2018. It's called the perfect stool, understanding and healing the gut microbiome. And I interview other practitioners. I interview uh, you know, about, about different aspects of gut health, we'll pick a topic usually and focus in on that. And then, you know, IBS, IBD, SIBO, CIFO, um, you know, more specific stuff like liver health. And then I also do individual podcasts where it's just me talking, um, just, you know, summarizing one topic really thoroughly. And then I also do interviews with people who've done fecal transplants, either in clinics or on their own. And just talking about what their story is and their history. And yeah, some of them have really amazing stories of, of I don't know if they would like the word cure, but of, you know, real remission of things like bipolar and real improvements and things like autism spectrum disorder and anxiety and depression and things like that. So, so really interesting stories there. That's cool. No, I, I love to hear those kind of things. And it was definitely one of the things I clued into on your podcast. I, I listened to one of the ones you did on your own. And I sometimes like to hear folks do their own because you get a little bit more of a taste of, you know, what you're about, what you're thinking. And so I highly recommend folks who are listening here to jump on over and listen to Lindsay's podcast as well. I do think you would gain a lot of info there. No, I love the, the concept of the fecal transplants. I wanted to kind of sum back up and come back around to that since I kind of jumped into it at the beginning because I'm fascinated, never tried any, anything myself, but definitely I know that I get asked a lot about it and I find it super curious. And so I'm glad that you've got some folks on board there. Now, one of the things that I didn't ask you about, and, and it is something that I get a lot of questions on too, is the, the mental emotional side of the gut and mm-hmm. really, you know, the, the, how this plays out in terms of vagus nerve, how this plays out in terms of, you were talking bipolar, autistic, I think of anxiety, depression, and the Mm -hmm. gut, and especially women, as we're going through perimenopause and beyond, we will tend to have a lot more of these ups and downs of, of mood swings and things of that nature. Have you found that a lot of that can clear up when you're working with the gut? And have you found triputrin to be, has anyone told you about that and the mood Mm -hmm. side of things? So I definitely, so I'll do the organic acids test on people and often we'll see low levels of serotonin and dopamine. And in those cases, I usually am using amino acids to bring those up before we get to the point of healing the gut because that takes longer. So on the short term, using amino acids, you know, tryptophan or 5-HTP and L-tyrosine definitely have seen people turn around anxiety and maybe a little bit less of depression, but definitely anxiety um, with, with the use of those supplements. And then also sort of the, the ADHD type of symptoms. And, you know, if they're, although you also see plenty of people and I'm one of them that comes out low on the serotonin and dopamine, but is perfectly happy and maybe just Mm -hmm. a hair anxious, but nothing, nothing debilitating Mm -hmm. or life-changing or necessary to treat. I, the other factor, of course, is B6. I see B6 low on, on all sorts of people on the Great Plains um, organic acids test. Everybody comes back low. I don't know if it's an artifact of the test or if it's 
genuinely low, but I, but I see a lot of people who have that. And I, I've sort of come in my head to decide that there's people genetically who are low in B6, and then there's people genetically who are tend to quickly get too much B6 and have, you know, tingling in their hands and feet and problems. Mm. So, so a lot of the low B6 people have the, you know, because that's needed for the formation of your neurotransmitters that they tend to be, you know, low in B6 and therefore low in their neurotransmitters and therefore have that anxiety or depression. So that's another factor. Um, I'm not sure if I'm actually answering your question, the gut, the gut comment, right. So of course, then, then dealing with the gut issues is the next piece. And, you know, those issues sometimes are quick to resolve or sometimes take time. But yes, I have seen people turn around the mental health stuff when the gut gets better, for sure. And a lot of people too will tell me, I was totally fine. Nothing happened in my life, but then my gut health went. And then like all of a sudden the crazy anxiety or the depression, mm -hmm. and there was no reason for it. It just happened. And that alone tells me like, this is not a, this is not a mental health thing. This is a physiological thing that's happened. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've seen, I've seen the same. So I was curious if, if anyone else has, it's fun to ask folks, but also, you know, just, just pick your brain too, to see. And with Great Plains, yeah, vitamin B6 and vitamin C. Those two tend to be low right. on a lot of folks. So I do, it does make you wonder, but nevertheless, I mean, if, if it fits the bill, it, you know, it's one of those things that it, it does make sense. And I really wanted to kind of just bridge the, the concept that a lot of what's happening in your gut can be contributing to moods and mood swings. And especially as the, the gut lining changes in perimenopause and, and beyond in terms of my folks that are, are tending to somewhat listen more to this podcast. Now, in terms of tributrin and the mood too, one of the, yeah, no worries. It's one of the things I've seen. And so that's why I was asking to see if you've seen it, because the more I use tributrin, the more I've got folks being like, my gut feels so much better and I'm happier. And I don't know why. And and that's, that's great. I, I don't recall anybody saying that to me, but I know that that is one of the benefits that is supposed to be attached to tributrin. All right. Well, thank you for sharing so much, Lindsay great stuff today. And, and thanks for geeking out with me on the gut. Cause I love to ask gut questions. Cause I like to know what other people see. Cause sometimes it can feel lonely being, you know, a health coach and doc on your own and not being in a practice anymore, you know, out in virtual land. So thanks again. I appreciate it. And I look forward to sharing all the great info that you've shared today and sharing with folks about your, your practice and everything. So thanks again for coming on the health fix. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Hey, Health Junkies, are you feeling just off, feeling like you're aging a little bit faster than you want to and wondering what in the world is up? Hey, I might have some answers for you and some direction. If you want to chat with me, I am offering complimentary calls right now. You can head over to Dr. Spelled Out, J-K-R-A-U-S-E-N-D.com. Take my quiz, click on the schedule a chat, and let's talk and see if we can get you in the right direction. And if I'm able to help you, I'm going to let you know. Otherwise, I'm going to help you find what you're looking for. Head over to drjkrausnd.com and check it out now. Hey, fellow health junkie. Thanks for listening to the Health Fix podcast. If you enjoyed tuning in, please help support me to get the word out about the podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review, and just get that word out. Thanks again for listening.